Good evening and welcome to Hope Awakens. If you're joining us for the first time, great to have you with us on this journey of discovery. Our last program titled A Matter of Trust was amazing. If you missed it or any of our other eight programs so far, make sure you pick it up by going to our website, hopeawakens.com.au. Now, if you missed our last decision card, you still have time to respond. All you need to do is text the code word LOVE. So if you're in Australia, text LOVE to 0428 386. And if you're in New Zealand, text LOVE to 875 and follow the instructions. Tonight's program, Beyond the Light, sounds really interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. But before we start, Gary, what questions do we have tonight? Hi, Rebecca. I hope you had a great week. Well, we've got some very interesting questions indeed tonight. Notice the first question. It's a good one. How does Jesus help with serious addiction monsters? Well, that's a very good question. Number one, we need to accept Christ's death to be born again. 1 John 4 says, So whoever is born again overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So make sure you put your trust in Jesus. 1 John 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world? But he who believes in the Son of God. Number two, the Bible. Read the Bible. There's power in the Word of God to help you overcome. Number three, pray to God. There's power in prayer. Four, make sure you have good friends to help you, to encourage you. Go to church. Number five, listen to good music. And finally, follow the truth. Whenever you see something in the Bible, follow what it says. Question number two. It seems John Bradshaw is putting too much emphasis on keeping Saturday for the Sabbath. Doesn't the Bible say any day can be kept as a Sabbath? Well, that's a very good question. When we go to the fourth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11, we notice what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. Notice it says the seventh, not a seventh. And the reason is, is that God is setting the Sabbath aside to spend with you and with me. And if we choose a different day, then we're not going to be able to connect with him in this same special way. In actual fact, God is very particular about this. And the reason is so that we can connect with him for this whole day. You remember the bread that came down from heaven, the manna. They had to collect it every day, and if they kept it overnight, there'd be maggots in it. And then, of course, on the sixth day, the Friday, they were to gather twice as much, uh, then cook it up for the seventh day, and then, of course, on the seventh day, there would be no manna. Now, let's read these texts here in Exodus chapter 16. Let's start at verse 27. Now, it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather. But they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So you see, God was particular. The seventh day was the Sabbath. Now, when we go to Revelation 1 verse 10, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, says John. 
And that's the day he was given all these visions. That's the day Jesus visited John. The Bible ends on the Sabbath, in fact. Jesus spending the day with John. Why? That is just amazing. Old John on that island of Patmos, the Sabbath was spent with Jesus. Well, that's all we have time for tonight, Rebecca. But before we uh, hand over to you, we've got some great news for our viewers. Tomorrow we actually have two programs on Saturday. We have the regular one at 7.30 in the evening tomorrow night. But John has added an extra one tomorrow morning at 10.30. It will be the same format as as all of our programs. And also at the end of tonight's program, we have another free book offer, Mystery of Death. So stay with us to the end when Rebecca will tell you how to get that book offer. Well, over to you, Rebecca. Gary, that's fantastic news to have an extra program tomorrow morning. I'm really enjoying John's messages, and thanks for answering our viewers' questions tonight, Gary. I think it's just so wonderful of Jesus to visit John on the Sabbath on Patmos when he gave him the revelation. I guess the Sabbath also reminds us that we're never alone, no matter where we are. Well, let's join John as he talks tonight about Beyond the Light. You've heard the stories. A person is hovering somewhere between life and death. As doctors and nurses struggle to save the person's life, he or she sees a tunnel. It's misty. And at the end of that tunnel, there's a light. And they're being drawn to the light. The good news is they survive and recover. But they have a story to tell about the tunnel and the haze and the light. A young Polish woman recently said that after being diagnosed with meningitis, she passed into a tunnel filled with light. She said, I've never seen a light like that. It was a very bright streak. Then she said, the tunnel extended upwards. On my way, I met my father who had been dead for four years. He was very happy, radiant. And here's where it gets interesting. He held buns on a tray and said, go back. Don't go this way. You must live. Remember, eat. I turned away from him and saw my deceased brother submerged up to his shoulders in a bog. He was very sad. Right. I thought, I must do something to help him. I'll come back for him. Returning to my body, I saw myself. I was laying in bed. There were some doctors, some machine. Then the article in Britain's Daily Express stated this. Most scientists do not consider NDEs, near-death experiences, to be true experiences of the afterlife. We're fascinated by this idea of an afterlife. Maybe that's because there's something in us that says that if all we have is this life, then in the grand scheme of things, that's not really much. There has to be something beyond this world, doesn't there? But what is it? I spoke with a physician recently who told me that people facing death tend to have fear. Interestingly, he said those who don't have faith have the most fear. And a lot of people have been very fearful with regard to the coronavirus pandemic. Some have been driven to end their life. Some have been very fearful about testing positive for COVID-19. You can understand why. More than 60,000 Americans have died from this disease so far, according to official numbers. Almost 20,000 of them in one state, New York. Death is still foreign to us, even though we are immersed in it. That is, our grandparents die. Then parents, friends, you can't escape it. One Irish Hospice Foundation says that we don't like death because of, one, fear of the unknown. Two, we don't like to think of ourselves as dying. And three, 
We don't want to tempt fate as though talking about death is somehow going to hasten the event. That's why some people don't make a will. You know, you really should. Because to do so, they think, well, talking about death, maybe that's bad luck in some way. Well, what's beyond the light at the end of that hazy tunnel? Let's find out tonight what God says about it. We'll start by looking at how death first came to be way back there in the beginning. Whether you fear death or not, I think you'd have to admit that if all we had was this life, there's not a whole lot of justice about it. I guess if you live to 90, that's pretty good, except we were created to live forever. So it's not such a good deal. Every day in the United States alone, almost 8,000 people die. With that in mind, look at what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. He wrote, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. He was writing with reference to whether or not there's life after death, or the way he phrased it, whether or not there's a resurrection. You find all kinds of beliefs when it comes to what happens when a person dies, and that's likely because so few people have ever died and lived to talk about it. Reincarnation is a major tenet of Indian religions, especially such as Hinduism and Buddhism. The idea is that after death, you continue to live, but in another form, and that cycle may go on many, many times. The great pyramids of Egypt, which for some time were the tallest structures on the planet, were in fact tombs. The Egyptians believed in an afterlife, and they believed you could take it with you when you left. So gold and silver and bronze artifacts were placed in the tombs with the deceased. The secret chambers were adorned with artwork and fine linen. Those fabulous structures are now thousands of years old, and they're magnificent enough that tourists from all around the world still travel to see them. I think a fair question to ask is, who got it right? Or just what should we believe? Now, Christians typically believe that after life is heaven or hell. Some people, though, believe in purgatory, an intermediate place where people are purged of their sins by fire before being released into everlasting life. Now, how can we approach this without fear, without worry that God is an ogre or in some way unloving or unkind? It seems the only reliable place we could look would be the Bible. So let's go there. Let's go to the Bible and find out what the Bible says. We'll look at a famous story, famous Bible story found in John chapter 11. Jesus and his disciples receive word that someone is sick. That person's name? Lazarus. He happens to be the brother of Mary and Martha, and he's from a town called Bethany, which was very near Jerusalem. Jesus got this news and then did a curious thing. John 11, verse 6. When he heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, he, Jesus, stayed two more days in the place where he was. Jesus didn't go to visit his friend right away. He didn't go to heal his friend. But he said to his followers, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. You know, when you get news that someone who's been ill is sleeping, it's ordinarily a good sign. They're recovering, getting rest. Now, the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. 
Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So now they walk to Bethany, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. You know, death is difficult. The Bible calls death an enemy. There was never meant to be any death in this world, but like a terrorist, death infiltrated this world and hijacked life itself. Grief is an especially hard thing to deal with. It can be debilitating. Death is hard on the people it leaves behind. As you've now got to figure out how to move forward with what's a gaping hole in your life, in your family. And as keenly as we grieve today, Lazarus left behind a family who were grieving intensely. He was evidently a younger man. His death seems to have come as a surprise. When Jesus arrived, Martha, Lazarus's sister, said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had faith in Jesus' ability to heal. If you'd only been here, you'd have taken care of him and he would still be with us. And Jesus responded by giving her hope in her moment of grief. Your brother will rise again. You know, I don't know what gets you through at a time of grief or loss, but knowing that the dead will rise again has been a huge help to me. You farewell your parents, and that's tough, but you have the hope that you'll see them again one day. But as sad as it is to lose your parents, that's not unexpected. In fact, it's kind of expected. But losing a spouse, losing a child, a shock accident, an unanticipated illness, farewelling a child, it has to be brutal. I just read about a school trip that went wrong. Now, it took place many years ago in another country. A teacher and 27 boys traveled to the mountains of southern Germany. The teacher was hopelessly unprepared. The children weren't dressed for cold weather. They got caught in a relentless snowstorm. Five of the boys died. It's a miracle any of them made it out of there alive. The father of one of those boys who passed away was consumed by grief and anger over the carelessness that led to a son's death. You know, he died prematurely in a psychiatric institution. The grief consumed him, ultimately killed him. Let's remember this because grief is hard. God is described in the Bible as the God of all comfort. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I hope you've learned or that you're willing to learn that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's Psalm 46. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Faith in God doesn't take away grief, but the comforting presence of God will get you through, even when things seem hopeless and the weight seems like it's just too great. Jesus comforted Martha. There's hope, Martha. Your brother will rise again. And she answered by saying, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now notice what Jesus says to her. Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. John 11, 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus had said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth and the life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I am so many things. And now he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Where does life come from? From Jesus. Where is hope for the resurrection? Same place. That hope is in Jesus. And now to demonstrate this, Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, asks that they roll away the stone. Martha says, not a good idea. But Jesus said, this is for the glory of God. The stone is rolled away. The people must have been wondering what was going on. Jesus surprised everyone when he called out to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Lazarus was alive. He'd been dead, but now he was alive, raised by Jesus, the resurrection and the life. This is one of the few examples of people we know of that have died and come back. Now, Jesus raised the son of a widow in the town of Nain, just south of Nazareth, where Jesus was raised. He raised the daughter of a man named Jairus. You see, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This is the hope that we have of a resurrection in the last day. Imagine if death was the end, the ultimate, nothing beyond. That'd be hopeless. Remember where death came from. In the Garden of Eden, Eve wandered too close to the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. Satan tempted her to eat the fruit. He said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She responded by saying, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And now notice what the devil said to her. He said, you will not surely die, but death came as the result of sin. We weren't created to die. We were created to live forever. Back in the beginning, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul, Genesis 2, 7. Did you notice that it's key? At creation, God made human beings and the human being was made a living soul. Other Bible versions might say a living being. Now, this is where the confusion creeps in. And where did that confusion come from? You know, Plato was a Greek philosopher who lived about three or four hundred years before Jesus. Plato believed that the soul was something that was able to think and that survived bodily death. He taught that the soul went on living after a person died. Socrates was another Greek philosopher who lived a little before Plato. Plato and Socrates were called dualists. They believed that reality or existence is divided into two parts, the body and the soul. Socrates believed the body was mortal, but the soul was immortal, that it goes on living after death. Then along came a man named Augustine, known by some as St. Augustine today. And Augustine just echoed the beliefs of these Greek philosophers. He taught that a human being is made up of a body and this immortal soul that goes on living after death. It's almost impossible to overstate Augustine's influence on Christianity. He's considered one of the most important figures of the early church. That's the post-apostolic church. He was instrumental in affecting Christian thought. And Augustine was influenced by Socrates and Plato. His views on humanity were framed by Greek philosophers. Later generations of Christians were influenced by Augustine, who was influenced by Greek dualists.
Men who believed that a person was a combination of a body and an immortal soul, their thinking wasn't framed by Scripture. So when we think about what people believe today, we've got to ask ourselves where those beliefs come from. God said the dust of the ground and the breath of life, that is a living soul. That's what we are, a living soul. The Greek dualists said otherwise. Based on what we see in the Bible now, a soul is not something living or conscious. It's not what you are. Sorry, it's not what you have. It's what you are. It's like saying Auntie Charmaine is a dear old soul. You mean a dear person, not that she's a disembodied spirit. Adam was a soul. This is why the Bible says 3,000 souls were added to the church in Acts chapter 2. That's 3,000 people. A soul is a person. Biblically, soul can refer to the spiritual nature of a person, but it never means a spirit that leaves the body at death. Look at Psalm 146 and verse 4 with me. It says, his breath goes forth. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. The Bible says when a person dies, that person's breath goes back to God. Now, what is that breath? It's not something living or conscious. It doesn't think. We've read that at creation, human beings were not given a soul. They were made living souls. Don't be surprised. Well, if we don't have a soul, maybe we have a spirit. In Ecclesiastes, it says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. But look how Job interprets that. All the while my breath is in me, and the what? Spirit of God is in my nostrils. Job makes it clear. The spirit that goes back to God when a person dies is breath. The breath of life God put in Adam when he created him. Breath, the life spark, the power God gives us to keep us up and running. Not a soul where people go on living after they die. Breath goes back to God. Now, when I was a child, I was told that people had immortal souls. But then I looked through the Bible. You know what I found? I found the Bible says very clearly the only one who is immortal is God. It says that very thing. First Timothy 6, the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only has immortality. That's as clear as a bell. First Timothy 1, now unto the King eternal. Immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Only God is immortal. It's just not possible for people to have an immortal soul. Search the Bible from front to back. You'll never hear mention of an immortal soul. In fact, Romans 2 verse 7 says that we seek for immortality. You wouldn't seek for something you already have. Ezekiel 18 verse 4 says, the soul who sins shall die. The Bible makes clear humans are mortal. But let me show you something that's just so clear. Acts chapter 2, Peter, speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit, says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. We know where David is. He's right there in that tomb. Now, five verses later, David did not ascend into the heavens. How clear is that? David is there in the tomb and he didn't go to heaven. Now, when you get to heaven, you expect to see King David there. But Peter said that David is not there right now. Psalm 115, verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Psalm 17, this is David. He says, as for me, 
I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. When will David be satisfied? When he wakes. From what? From the sleep of death. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. The Bible says, Daniel 12, verse 2. Remember Lazarus? Jesus didn't call him down from heaven or up from hell. He called him from the grave because that's where Lazarus was. What happened with the Lazarus is going to be replayed many times over when Jesus returns. The dead in Christ shall rise. People you've known and loved, they'll rise. Friends you've lost, they'll rise. Children, parents, they'll rise because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Heart disease takes the life of your loved one. Diabetes, cancer, a stroke. We're getting those folks back one day. Today they sleep, but soon they rise because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Look in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The word of God says the living know that they shall die, but the dead know Nothing. Ecclesiastes 9.5. Isn't that clear? We live, we die, we sleep. And then in the resurrection, the saved are woken from that rest to receive everlasting life. Immortality comes then, not when you die. But the devil's a deceiver. Jesus called him a liar and the father of it. One of his greatest deceptions is spiritualism. You got people going to seances to speak with the dead. No, that's not the dead they're communicating with. It's what King Saul did before he died. He went to see a witch. That's all this is today. Demonic activity. What about near-death experiences? Now, they really happen. Many people talk about the tunnel, the bright lights, the fog. They say their soul floated up out of their body. They could see themselves and they watched what was going on. But this isn't evidence that people live after they die. Think with me. When do people have these near-death experiences? Seems like they're having them under stress. No one ever said I was sitting on a beach, drinking out of a, a cup with an umbrella in it. They're on an operating table, hanging between life and death. They're not relaxing somewhere when they have these near-death experiences. Happened to some people who use drugs. It's brought on by the, by the brain doing strange things under stress. Washington Post reported that a new study suggests these out-of-body and near-death experiences may be influenced by a portion of the brain misfiring under stress. That was also in the journal Times, as you see. The researchers said that a processing center in the brain known as the angular gyrus is thought to play a very important role in the way your brain analyzes sensory information to give you a perception of your own body. They say when it misfires, the result can be visions of floating outside ourselves. No, people don't leave their bodies and come back. The dead don't go home after they die. They don't haunt houses. They sleep until the resurrection. It's important to know this when we consider what's going to happen in earth's last days. Revelation 16, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. 
For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. We are told we're going to see miracles of a spiritualistic nature, and we see them today. You've heard of apparitions that occur. People claim to see the Virgin Mary in any one of many places around the world. Not every supernatural event is from God. You see, there's a great conspiracy afoot where someone is looking to deceive everyone. Few things have more power than perhaps a vision of a departed loved one returning to you, bringing you a message from God. There's a spirit world, all right. Not all spirits are from God. We know the dead aren't alive. They sleep, waiting for the resurrection. You might have heard it said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Sure. But let's look at that in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, Paul said, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You look at that. He didn't say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You hear it at funerals. But Paul didn't say, when I die, the next thing is I'll be with Jesus. Paul was not saying straight to heaven. In fact, he's the one who said very differently in many places. This is 2 Corinthians we looked at. In 1 Corinthians just a moment ago, he talked about sleeping until the resurrection. Here, Paul is looking forward to the time that he will be absent from this earthly body and present with the Lord. We could say the same thing. Many of us are looking forward to that time. No aches and pains when we get out of this old body. No injuries, no medication needed, no stress, no sickness. We're looking forward to that. Oh, yes, indeed. Revelation 21 and verse 4 says that God will wipe away all tears from their eyes and there will be no more death. Look at this. This is Paul again. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 4. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will do what? Rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus promised the resurrection is a wonderful hope. Notice, comfort doesn't take away our pain, but God offers us comfort. In fact, what we know is that one day there's going to be a resurrection. You keep your eyes open as you read the Bible and you will see again and again and again it says that death is asleep. No one in heaven is watching down on their loved ones suffering down here. That wouldn't be heaven. The dead are sleeping and soon they'll be awake. So where are those who've died? Maybe this is what makes the subject challenging for some people. You've been told grandma's in heaven. That's a comforting thought. Unless, of course, you imagine grandma's watching down on you, then it becomes a creepy thought. But if you've thought of grandma enjoying heaven and walking on streets of gold, this might just challenge your thinking a little bit. But wait. But if the dead died and went to heaven, why would there even be a resurrection? 
And if people die and go to heaven, we don't need Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. The truth is, Jesus will one day come back and raise the sleeping saints. Who would go on sleeping forever if it wasn't for Jesus, the resurrection and the life? Where are the dead? Where is Abraham Lincoln? Where is Frederick Douglass? Where's Mother Teresa? Where's Gandhi? Where's Mary, the mother of Jesus? Where's Elvis? Where's John Lennon? Where's Kobe Bryant? They're all in exactly the same place. That is, they are sleeping. And those who died in faith in Jesus will be raised from the grave when Jesus returns. All right, now, what about the thief on the cross? Somebody's going to ask me about that. You read in Luke 23, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, now think about this. In John 17, Mary sees Jesus. Jesus said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. That was resurrection morning. On execution Friday, Jesus promised the thief that he'd be with him in paradise. But on resurrection Sunday, Jesus hadn't gone to paradise. Now, the scriptures are not going to contradict themselves. So let's look at what the thief actually said. He said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He didn't ask to go to heaven that day. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We still pray for that, don't we? Sure we do in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. So what's the solution? Okay, listen carefully. In the English Bible, it comes down to the placing of a comma. Punctuation wasn't added to the scriptures until the 1400s. The Bible wasn't written with punctuation like we have today. It was added by the translators. Mostly, they got it right. Sometimes, they didn't. Jesus is talking to the thief on the cross. He says, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. How can that be when the Bible makes it very clear that death is asleep? You move that comma by one word, and what does it say? Assuredly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. And you ought to know that dozens of Bible translations put the comma in exactly the right place. Jesus used that word today to emphasize a blessed truth. He assured the thief that even as he hung on the cross, he could know that when Jesus comes in his kingdom, he would then be with Jesus in paradise. Not right at that moment, not not today, as it were, but as at this at the second coming of Jesus when the resurrection takes place he gives you that same assurance if you've accepted Jesus as lord and savior Jesus says to you i tell you today i tell you now you will be with me in paradise Jesus is soon to come back to this world he's coming back in power and great glory those who died will be raised, those who died in faith. Families will be reunited. There'll be no more death. We'll be with Jesus forever. What a day that's going to be when Jesus comes back. For now, the dead sleep, a dreamless sleep. 
And when Jesus wakes them from their slumber, it will be like no time has passed at all. Experientially, it's like dying and going to heaven. But knowing the truth, you know, I met a lady one day, an elderly lady, and she was so discouraged. She said, I'm so disturbed. Why? Because my husband, I know he's out there and he won't communicate with me. Isn't that interesting? He won't communicate with me. And she was tormented because of an unbiblical belief of what happens when a person dies. When you know that the dead rest, now you can say he rests peacefully. She rests peacefully. And Jesus will come back to wake that person up. And we get to go to heaven together. No one there waiting for you. You get to make the journey of a lifetime together. So how is it with you? Is Jesus the resurrection and the life for you? And do you have assurance now that you will be with Jesus in paradise? Sadly, too many people live and hope that they're going to be ready. Maybe they'll spend eternity with Jesus. After tonight, My hope, my prayer is that you won't hope, but that you will believe. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He is truly your Savior. Then you grow with Jesus. Jesus lives His life in you. Oh, but Pastor John, I am such a sinner. We are all sinners. Jesus died for sinners. When the devil reminds you how bad you are, You just remind him how good Jesus is and you are hanging on to Jesus' goodness. Oh, but John, I struggle. I I keep stumbling. Well, you keep on stumbling then, but stumble in faith. Hang on to Jesus and tell Jesus he's got to change your heart. He's got to turn things around and you're trusting in him. Don't look at your sinfulness. You know what you're made of. You know what you're capable of. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He came into this world that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Tragically, because of sin, life all too often slips away. But one day, the sky will split wide open. The heavens will depart as a scroll. Jesus will come riding down the great corridors of space. He'll call to the sleeping ones as he called to Lazarus. Graves on hillsides all across the fruited plain and around the world will open up. And those sleeping saints will come forth never to die again. And why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray in faith in the name of Jesus right now. Join with me, our Father in heaven. Tonight we choose Jesus as Lord and Savior. Friend, can you choose Jesus? Tonight we trust in the merits of His shed blood and we accept His righteousness. We claim that righteousness as our own. And we just believe that what you say in your word will happen in our lives. We believe for forgiveness. We believe for holiness. We believe in Jesus saving us from our sins. We thank you now. And we look forward to that one day soon when Jesus comes back and we are with him forever in paradise. And we pray in Jesus' name. Come and say with me, amen and amen. Well, that was absolutely amazing, wasn't it? 
And what a relief to think that our loved ones are not aware of the troubles and the sorrows that we go through on this earth. And what a hope that the return of Jesus has for us. You know, when our mum died after an eight-year battle with bowel cancer, at her funeral, David Aitken, a good friend of mine, sang a wonderful song as mum was lowered into the ground. No more night, no more pain, no more tears, never crying again. Just waiting for that resurrection day. Isn't it great to know that our loved ones are asleep, waiting the call of Jesus, the resurrection and the life at his return? Thank God for this blessed hope that John shared with us tonight. Now, we know that many of you are really enjoying Hope Awakens, but you want to know more and you want to go deeper into these amazing subjects. Well, we're excited to announce that very soon we'll be offering a number of masterclasses where you'll be able to connect with expert teachers in various areas from all over Australia and New Zealand. Now, if you're interested in joining one of these masterclasses, take out your phone right now and text the code word LEARN, L-E-A-R-N. Now, if you're in Australia, text LEARN to this number, 0428 833 386. And if you are in New Zealand, text LEARN to 875. Again, if you're in Australia, text LEARN to 0428 833 386. Or if you're in New Zealand, text LEARN to 875. We'll send you a form with some topics that we'll be offering masterclasses on. And all you need to do is indicate which ones you're interested in, and we'll let you know when and what classes will be offered. Now, before I hand over to Rebecca... Just remember that we not only have our regular program tomorrow night at 7.30, but as we said, we've got an extra program for you tomorrow morning at 10.30am. Lockdown, a planet in isolation. So Rebecca, back to you. Thanks, Gary. Wow, I was so blown away by tonight's presentation. So clear, so helpful and so full of hope. Now, to get tonight's free ebook offer titled Mystery of Death and the study guide for tonight's topic, just go to our website, hopeawakens.com.au and click on the free offer button. And don't forget, as Gary mentioned earlier, we have two programs tomorrow. Our extra Saturday morning program at 10.30 a.m. called Lockdown, A Planet in Isolation. And our regular Saturday night program titled The New Normal, A World Without Fear. So hope you have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 10.30 a.m.